Hi, Steve. Hey, Mitch. How, how are you today? I'm great. Welcome to Everyday Meeple. Welcome to Everyday Meeple. We're everyday people. Talk everything meeple. That's that's pretty good. Yes, I, rem- I remembered it. I I I th- I think I did it wrong the last time because I think before I had said about, and you were uh, you were down as about, and then I didn't say about, and you were like ah, I tried to say about right, which as Canadians, who knows what that sounds like now? We should leave it out. A boot. A boot. We'll leave we it out. Leave it out. Leave it out. Yeah. How you doing, way over there on the other side of the table? I'm good. Uh. It's, it's this computer, I don't know. It's going to be okay. This computer. Don't panic. We're good. We're good. Lots Trust our ears. Lots to talk about today. Lots to talk about. Yeah, we should uh, we should start it right away. Because I've been wanting to talk about uh, this new Ravensburger game. It's not new now. It's been out uh, it feels new to way me. before Christmas. We bought it. Yeah. For, I bought it for us for Christmas. Uh, Horrified. Horrified. Universal Studios uh, Monsters. <laughs> Horrified. Universal Studios Monsters. Yeah. Horrified. Which is, uh, it's like a family cooperative game where you are uh, different characters protecting a village from the Universal Studios Monsters. And it is one of the most beautiful games uh, out. It is very pretty to look well, at. Well, maybe that's huge. That's a that's an overstatement. There are so many beautiful games now. But yeah. this is one of the beautiful games it is the art. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm looking at it right now. The art is really cool. It has a really nice aesthetic. While at the same time, feeling like in some parallel universe, you could have bought this game in the '80s or something. Like oh it my has god! Some weird. I, uh, it it, it I, walks some kind of line there. I love that you, you even said that because that's uh, something I completely forgot to even make a note of. Is is how nostalgic the the design feels like the and it might be the standees. Yeah. And like the vibrant color of the standees, but yeah, this game feels like it's been around forever. It's uh, something about the board too, where it looks like if you just walked in, you might think it's like a roll and move. Right, where yeah, you might just move around on these spaces, which you know part of that is moving around on these spaces. But yeah, it just looks like it's been around for a long time as a game, but at the same time has this this great appeal with aesthetics and and art and production. It's very nice. I, we just played it. We just played it, and it's. Uh, it is light. It is, except for the monster theme, which might put some people off. It's it's dealt with uh, beautifully. Uh, it is a very family weight cooperative game. And what I what I like, even even with the monsters, even if you're, you're like, I don't know if I want to fight monsters. If you're that type right, of family, right. uh, some of the monsters you're not you're not really fighting them. Like some, yeah. the Frankenstein yeah. and Bride of Frankenstein, you're teaching them humanity. And and you win by having them fall in love and run off uh, together into the right. into the sunset. That's very cool. Uh, the Wolfman, you're curing mm-hmm. of his of his Wolfman itis. That's uh, what they call it. Dracula, well, you gotta you gotta deal with Dracula because you know he's a vampire and, and the Black Lagoon monster. Well, you just scare him off. Right, he's like a wild creature. Like, get get out of this town and and stay in your own water. Yeah. Go find your own dregs to dreg around in. And then the Invisible Man. You bring him to justice. He's a a criminal. Criminal. He is not even, like, he's the monster of these monsters. Mm -hmm. The other monsters are uh, monsters in the traditional sense. The Invisible Man. Is the worst monster of all. He's human. He's human, and he's a a jerk. Yeah. 
the jerkiest of all the monsters. Pretty pretty standard stuff that's through any movie or book I've ever read where someone gains the ability to be invisible. They become a jerk. They become pretty jerky. Yeah. I always remember that movie with Kevin Bacon, Hollow Man. Hollow Man, Where yeah, he's yeah. like... We just watched a Kevin Bacon movie last night. Of course. I mean, Friday the 13th. Why not? Oh, really? Friday the 13th? Yeah. Wow. Because it was Friday the 13th? Because it was Friday the 13th. Right. Forgot about that. Um, but yeah, in, the, in the Hollow Man, Kevin Bacon's character, if I remember correctly, it's been a very long time, he's a very nice... He's a great, great guy. Regular guy. As soon as he becomes invisible, I can't remember if the science, if the process of turning him invisible does something to his brain chemistry or not. But I don't remember that being the case. I remember that as soon as he becomes invisible, he's evil. He what just about, does the most horrible things. What about Dark Man? He becomes invisible, but he becomes a hero. That's true. He becomes a hero. Yeah. Uh, yeah there are other examples. Harry Potter gets an invisible cloak. He just uses it for good times. But he doesn't turn invisible. He just has a coat. That's true. I, I know. It's a whole I know it's a cloak. I was just. I was just saying coat because it's. Yeah, invisible coat. Because comedy. Yeah. So yeah, lots of lots of cool monsters. And there's the the mummy. You got to deal with the mummy too. Yeah. Get, get out of here, mummy. Get out of here, mummy. Yeah. Take your curse. Hit the bricks. And and that's <laughs> that's actually sort of the vibe. It's like a kind of feels like an old fifties town. Yeah, uh, it does. And it's it's very very colorful, very bright, and the gameplay is. Super family oriented. It's uh, each turn you have so many actions. Everything you could think to do is one action, and each character has like a special action that can happen on top of that. There are items that come out in different spots around town, and you're just picking them up and using them in different ways mm-hmm. to get through uh, these monsters. And each monster has uh, sort of two levels that you have to beat, and the first level is a mini game that's different for each monster. Right. And then the second one is just enough items to sort of overcome them yeah and and that's it and then you play your actions and then you flip over a card and it tells you what happens with the monsters and there'll be a little event and more items will come out into the town and then uh, some of the monsters will move and if someone's in the way they're going to attack you yeah and that's how you could end up losing is if they attack you and send you to the hospital that you move up on this scale that will get you closer to or if they attack villagers there are villagers innocent villagers yeah that that come out and are wandering around this town, and the monsters are going to get them, and you have to try and get each villager to their safe spot. And if you can do that, you get a, an extra bonus action. That's and pretty good too. And they're less tough than you because if a monster hits oh, yeah. you, you can throw your items. You can protect at yourself. To kind of ward them off. Throw throw a book at them or uh, some holy water. Um, ah, but the villagers just—if they get hit, they're toast. Yeah, they yeah. can't pick up items, so they're in trouble. But you can so, protect them. The monsters will pick you. And you can you can block them. So yeah. save those villagers, people. And for anyone who's ever played one of those, you know, gateway cooperative games like Pandemic or Forbidden Island or Forbidden Desert, I feel like they would be right at home with this game. It, it doesn't ratchet up much in the way of complexity. And if anything, what it provides is a bunch of replayability because you you play a couple monsters, bring in some some new monsters, uh, but it has the same kind of feel of you know helping each other out. Using your actions, moving around, getting the I job done. I feel now that if I wanted to introduce anybody to a cooperative game, this is the one I would use. Yeah. This is, uh, it's so much easier to get up and get going, and it moves so easily. Uh, like Forbidden Desert, Forbidden Island's good. Forbidden Desert is, is better, and it's tense, and it's so hard to beat. Yeah. <laughs> Where this one, uh, you. E- e- it, it's not hard to beat. 
you can make it hard to beat, and it can right. randomly be hard to beat. Like the first game Melissa and I played, we set up the uh, sort of the introductory level where you play two monsters. You're playing uh, Dracula and the Swamp Thing, which we just played, so you yeah. could see it because it plays really quickly. And you randomly pick characters, and some of those characters are better than others. And if you both end up with a bad character, it's going to be tough to do anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we played today with uh, I picked what I think are the best characters just just to make the game go by quickly. And uh, the first time Melissa and I played, we were there was no stress in the game. There was no yeah. tension. There was no anything. We just finished the game. And we're like, yeah, that's it's a good game, but you know we, there was no excitement in it so then we played uh with three people and three monsters Mm -hmm. and it went up a little bit but we we beat it pretty easily so then we started becoming a little self-confident we were just like this game is obviously very gateway very too easy and we played with four players and three monsters and we lost horribly yeah and uh then and that's been the thing so we i've played about 10 times now and i've only won about half the time and part of it is uh, how many monsters you play ratchets up the difficulty. Some of those monsters, because they have more to do, like Frankenstein right, right. and uh, Frankenstein's Bride, uh, it's a little bit tougher to manage. Mm-hmm. And some of them are really easy, like Dracula. You just have to get those four things, and the, and then you're on your way. Right. Uh, so some of them have a lot more going on. The mummy has a puzzle you have to solve. Right. Uh, so you can pick how tough you want the game to be. Which is kind of by picking your monsters, by picking how many monsters. Uh, so it's great. So it ratchets up really well. And I feel like you want about a 50% win rate with a cooperative game anyways. If that's oh, where yeah. it's sitting for you, that, I, that's pretty good. Like, I love uh, Forbidden Desert, and our win rate on that is probably 10%. Yeah. Like, we always die, and, and it's th- always... I've never won. It's always at the end, and you there's three ways to lose that game, and we're always about to lose it all three of those ways, and we either win or we lose. Yeah sometimes two at a time. It always feels a little skewed against you. So it's nice, like you said, you can kind of curate the game for who you're playing with. Like it would be, I would want to play the way we played today with my kids so that they could get an experience of, of winning and then, yeah, ratchet up the difficulty as, as you keep playing. Because like another, like a kid game uh, cooperative that would be considered a gateway game too, the Ghost Fight and Treasure Hunters. Such a hard game. So hard. Again, really aesthetically cool I looking. I wish there was Kids a way to, m- to ratchet that game down. Oh, man. And then I went and bought the expansion, which just knocks it up another level. But um, We have the, the budget Ghostbusters version of that game, right? Yeah. which is a smaller box. Protect the barrier. Ghostbusters theme. Uh, and it comes with the expansion, but mm. we have never played with it because it's just... You don't need to, yeah. Like, turning the doors on, having the extra monster. Uh, it's crazy. Like, yeah. we can't beat the first one, so... It's pretty tough. And you're at the you're really at the mercy of uh, some dice rolling in there. So, but it is an exciting, fun cooperative game too. It really is, and yeah. it's great for kids uh, if they don't mind the stress of losing. Like, it's a great game to 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 get kids used to losing because there's almost no other outcome. Yeah, and totally. it's really fun going along. So, co-oping with them and losing with them and making making that a good time is a great way to to sort of take the edges off of losing. Yeah. Oh, Which man. all cooperative games do that for kids. All cooperative games where you're winning and losing together do a fantastic job of... Uh, I find a lot of kids get into either, you know, winning is the fun part. Right. Instead of playing the game is the fun part. Right. And then when you're playing a game and they they fall behind, they almost want to quit the game 
yeah. soon as they lose hope. Yeah, so absolutely. Like, co-op games help to sort of change that so that kids have fun playing the game. Mm-hmm. And they're still trying as hard to win. And, and it, we've seen it with Macy where uh, early on when we started playing games, she would get sad or lose interest or get upset. Right. And now she's just into playing. And like when things go bad, she's just like, yeah, cool. And it's uh, and I I totally uh, think co-op games are are the way to take that edge off. Agreed, because like you said, most kids are not up for losing. Um, and yeah, I think I think basically Sam's real first introduction to board games was Ghost Fight and Treasure Hunters. We lost way more than we ever won. I think we pulled off a, a win a couple of times, maybe. Um, and he's a he's a pretty gracious loser. I don't really I try not to hold back too much when. When he wants to play a, a step up in complexity, he really likes uh, Century, um, not the Spice Road, but the Golem Edition because of all the fancy yeah, jams yeah. and the really cool art. And uh, for a while, he was he's figuring that out, but uh, he's lost the last two or three times we've played, and he handles it pretty well. We we started, uh, I think the first co-op-ish game was uh, Kids of Carcassonne, which is oh, yeah, also right. called my first Carcassonne now, I think. Yeah. And like... That's an interesting one where you're not you're not really cooperating. Someone's going to win, yeah. but everything you do helps everybody else. So whenever you put a tile down, everybody gets to place a meeple whose whose color is there. Right, right. So you're building roads that. and closing roads and everybody is scoring those at the same time and you're not you can play it and and we slowly this is sort of a, a neat thing where we got to watch Macy's brain start to play games more where when we started playing that game, it was to sort of smooth her over that that not liking losing or being afraid of losing or anything and she right. she took to it really well and loved helping and would would try and play the game so that everybody had an even number yeah, yeah. or pick someone that she wanted to win and help them right. and and she kept managing it like that and it got eventually to the point where when her and I would play you could see her trying to beat me right and we're playing a game that has a lot of cooperative elements in it and you could see her choosing to put out a tile that's not going to give me a meeple yeah, yeah. and put her ahead. And like that's when we could sort of see that she's ready for something else, you know? Right. Was, not that we weren't playing other games, but but it was really neat to see that change in her. Yeah. Cooperative games in general are good stepping stones for uh, introducing people to modern board games without having to, you know, you know, for instance, my family. They're always kind of trying out new games when they visit. Again, I mentioned this before. They love Ticket to Ride, and every time they visit, I'm like, oh, I think I want they'd be they'd be really into Pandemic. And if I explain, because I don't think that we've ever played a co-op game together. If I explain, we're all on the same team. We've played Mysterium. That's true. We play Mysterium, which is mostly cooperative. One person. Well, it's fully cooperative. It's fully cooperative. Yeah, the that's the right. one person the ghost is, is not against you. Yeah, you're trying to help them. That's right. So yeah, that is a cooperative game, but um, it might not feel the same. Yeah, but. But rather than say, and what, where I'm going with this is, rather than break out, uh, you know, a step up in complexity, maybe like, uh, I don't know, looking around here. Spirit Island? Sure, Spirit Island. No, no, cooperative. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm saying rather than introduce a competitive game, that's okay. a step up in right, complexity. Right. I mean, like, here's how you play it, and here's how you do it, and then me beat everybody, which probably wouldn't happen. But if it did happen, wow, um, you would, <laughs> knowing my track record, that would be very unlikely to happen, actually. My brother would beat me, probably. Um but, you know, to introduce new gamers to, like, a cooperative experience rather than introduce new people to the hobby to a competitive strategic game where you might win on the first go-around. I don't know. Rambling a little bit. I, I hear you. You hear what I'm saying. You, you, Yeah. It's a, it's a good point. It's a great place to 
to take people as a next as a next step. I just made a mistake of looking at the computer, which is telling me everything's wrong, but I'm going to keep going. Whatever, computer. You keep your mouth shut over there. Yeah, computer. But, so we just didn't, uh, we didn't come here today to just talk about cooperative games and, and Horrified in general. You know, what I would, you know what I would like to, to say before we uh, move back to Horrified, though? Sure. Uh, cooperative games, um, they, didn't, they didn't really uh, exist for a long time, right? Right. They're sort of, I'm, I'm not sure how they started. Um, definitely early on, but there's a company out of Canada called Family Pastimes Game. Oh, yeah that uh, started publishing in 1972. And I didn't write his name down. The main designer for that and the and the owner is uh, Jim, I want to say DeCove, uh, something like that. Him and his wife started the, the company. Right. And they started it uh, because they had two girls back in the 70s, and they couldn't find non-competitive games right. to play. And they don't like the word non-competitive because... It feels derogatory. It feels negative. So they 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 like to say cooperative games. They could not find cooperative games. So he started. Uh, I think he'd started maybe a little bit earlier than seventy two, uh, sort of redesigning Scrabble and redesigning some other games. Right. And then started publishing his own games. And the first game was a garden, a gardening game, or right. a farming game, which I think I have in the other room. Uh, but yeah, so he couldn't find cooperative games to play with his kids, so he started making his own, and they've published something like 115 games now. Yeah, they got a lot. Uh, some of them, I mean, the highest rated game is Max the Cat, and it's around the 4,000s on, on Board Game Geek, but it's been yeah. published, Max the Cat and The Secret Room have been published in like three or four different countries. They have new editions that have just come out in, in Europe and are beautiful. There's uh, Sunny Games has just put out a secret... Uh, room, yeah. Game secret and door, it's secret door. Yeah, and it's, and it's beautiful. It's so nice. It's tiered. Wow. You, you set up the box in this 3D house, and like, it's fantastic. Uh, and and the, yeah, so this fella out of Canada has been uh, producing them, publishing them themselves. Uh, aesthetically, his games are they they feel like they started being made in the 70s and he hasn't changed he's been producing them the same way they they self publish yeah. uh but they're all done with uh eco-friendly dies and recycled cardboards and and really nice and like and those two games uh Max the Cat Act 3 of them we have uh, a game called Roundup that's a cooperative Roundup right horse wrangling game that's pretty great they're, they're Secret Door and Roundup are both memory based games yeah and like Macy loved the Secret Door that's that that uh, is one of the first co-op games we started playing with her too, and we just found it at a thrift store, and she loves it, like loves it. She'd still yeah. play it now. It's a great game, and same with Roundup. Roundup takes the memory thing and and makes it a, a bit of a more of a puzzle, where Secret Door is just a memory game. Roundup makes it where you're trying to to find matching things, but then you have to solve the puzzle of how to get the horses back to the corral. Right. Interesting that you brought those guys up because I often, and I've heard this somewhere in in another podcast or reading online, that, and I might be wrong about this, and I mentioned last week on the podcast that Reiner Knizia's Lord of the Rings game is often cited as one of the first kind of modern cooperative games. Like I, I know I've heard some people say that, um, 
but this family pastimes co-op games that's like that predates it by yeah, quite a bit 72 20, 20 is years the first. 72 yeah uh and i think the lord of the rings game is like 2000 um 2000 really that seems that does seem that seems like such an old game is that is that like the fantasy flight i mean even yeah it's showing up on board game geek as 2000 but wow. whether there were uh older versions that maybe they they got remade but what what year did kids of carcassonne come out that seems right which is well uh, but yeah, the reason we were, uh, not the reason we were talking about Horrified, but you can't talk about Horrified without getting into some other thing. I can't, because uh, yeah, when we were talking about the, the history of sort of Euro games and where Catan came from. A couple episodes ago. We we mentioned very briefly uh, about how authors' names started showing up on the boxes and how that has led to, uh, it makes more sense. It's like. It's like the way you read books. It's the way you listen to music. It makes great sense that that games where people are pouring their creativity into things uh, would have their would have their names on the box. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I saw uh, a great thing from the uh, what's the the website the uh, it's the Game Authors Guild. Oh, the SAZ S A Z, which is a German, and I don't think I could probably get the name of it right but they they had a thing on it saying uh you know it sort of all started with the 3m bookshelf series uh and those games looked like books so you kind of expected to see right the author's names on the side of them uh but horrified is is designed by a by a studio it's it doesn't have a name on the box it's designed by uh prospero hall which is a which is a design studio kind of like an ad agency where right. all all they do is focus on uh game design and they're they're an interesting anomaly in in today's today's yeah. world my my fear is that this will become the norm because to me that that is sort of a weird scary thing where it's it's cutting out uh designers and and to see designers names no longer right. on boxes feels weird but what they're doing is they're having a you know a whole studio work on a particular game. So they have, they employ at least 40 people just off of their website. Oh, yeah. And then they hire artists outside of that, and they hire designers outside of that. And uh, and they sort of, uh, I've watched a couple of their process videos sort of things, uh, and they have multiple designers working on the same game and fleshing everything out and moving things along. And But what it does is it takes away that, that recognition that authors might get what it what it does on the positive sense of that is it creates more permanent jobs in the industry where uh, artists and designers sort of have to always have a, a second job in order to keep going because they're not necessarily going to be able to sell a game or, yeah, or yeah. get work on a game where this creates uh, a studio like an ad agency where people can go and and get work and and be in the industry that they love doing what they love and the the fear there for me is that it becomes like so many ad agencies where they become small sweatshops where they're taking designers straight out of school, mm. paying them you know the minimum, and and bleeding them for ideas, and I don't know that uh, that's a a chilling prospect, but yeah. hopefully it it stays a, a more of a dream team, more of a. It's they're, a, they're super interesting. I mean, they sorry I didn't I'd cut you off. I mean, no, they have okay. so many games. They have seventy six games out. Uh, or coming out, and they've really hit on something. Like 
the IPs that they've landed now. They have Disney. Yeah. Uh, they've done Villainous. They've done uh, Jaws. They've done this Horrified. Uh, the amount of IPs that they're getting are, are huge. Like they're this 2020 year coming out. They're they're releasing The Shining. They're releasing. Yeah. Uh, I can't even can't even remember. They have Top Gun. There's a Top Gun yeah. game coming. Back like, to the Future. Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman. Uh, and then previously, they've done uh, great games like uh, the Kiro, which is a two-player post-apocalypse yeah. game. Yeah. Uh, Ramen Fury, which is just novel for its packaging. Uh, what do we have? We have uh, How to Rob, How a, to bank. rob a Bank. We have uh, The Wizard Always Wins. Right. We have uh, the Spy Shifty game. Shifty-Eyed Spies. Shifty-Eyed Spies, yep. which is a hilarious... Fun, fun party game. Uh, if you like stressful party games that is that is great and interestingly enough a lot of the games that you just mentioned of these new new games villain the disney villainous series jaws uh the bob ross art of chill oh yeah a lot of these games and and this is something really special in canada a lot of these games are mass market retailers like bob ross i saw at walmart yeah jaws is at toys of russ um toys r us they they're hitting on something pretty successful here. <laughs> they seem to have uh, most of their games seem to have been coming out with Big G Creative originally, right? Uh, which landed the Bob Ross game into Target. Yeah, uh, it was a few years back where all of a sudden their games made a deal with Target and like uh, had to rob a bank. Right, uh, Bob Ross ended up in Target and it was a it was a great. And then uh, they also do a ton of. Uh, party games, which maybe is where they started out. They do beard ball, mm-hmm. uh, fanny pack games. Yeah. Uh, they have a Kenny G game. Yes, they keeping do. it I've sexy, keeping it sexy. <clears throat> and now Ravensburger has has picked up with the with the big IP licenses. Uh, it's like Horrified is Ravensburger, Jaws I think is Ravensburger. Right. Uh, the Funkoverse is all from yeah. these guys. Right. Also uh, massively kind of su- successful. My, my favorite thing, and I haven't been able to find out more about it, mm-hmm. and I noticed it originally with Big G Creative, and I've mentioned it before with Big G Creative, where their production value is beautiful. Yeah, The boxes are thick, the, the tokens are bright and vibrant. Their card, their paper stock for the cards are super thin, and that's like their, the worst right. part. Yep. Uh, horrified, the cards are really thin, and the big monster cards are really thin. thin. And for a family game, I think that's that's always just the worst. Yeah. Like, that's... I, I always want thick things, especially with the big monster cards. Like, they're big player sure. mats. I wish yeah, they yeah. were a card stock instead of flimsy paper. But uh, none of the boxes come shrink-wrapped. They all come oh. with just little tabs to cut open. So there's a lot less plastic, a lot less packaging, uh, great productions. And now that they're on Ravensburger, they have the same production, where Ravensburger seems to have always had their production done through their own stuff. Yeah. But all of the games that come from Prospero Hall seem to have the same Hallmark uh, productions. Hmm. So it seems like not only are you getting their design team, but you seem to be getting their production line as well. Like it seems like they're doing everything except taking on the publishing. Right. So it's a, it's like a turnkey operation for, Oh, you want a game? We'll do everything. Yeah. You, You just pay us. So it's really interesting. And it's I'm not sure who's really doing the production, uh, where they're getting printed, where this stuff is. And it's hard to, like, I didn't notice that at first with the Ravensburger games because everybody has been sort of making a point lately of getting away from shrink wrap. Yeah. Uh, a couple big companies announced that they were backing away from shrink wrapping in the last couple of years. 
so I didn't notice it. And then I, I was just thinking about it the other day and it's, it, you know, that was the same thing that came with how to rob a bank. And then I started feeling that the cards were that same thinness yeah. and all the, everything else was as nice. And right. so I started thinking like, it seems like everything is being produced in the same spot, regardless mm-hmm. of what the publisher is. It's very fascinating. And yeah, especially we were talking about uh, a couple episodes ago and I was comparing this to the comic book industry and how for me it's so important to see creators' names on the on the box on the box of a board game on the cover of a comic book. Um, and again, it does seem somewhat comparable here. Again, this is just like food for thought. We're just talking about an interesting semi new development with this with this uh, group. Um, but you know, when I when I'm on Instagram or checking out Kickstarter games, and I see designers and artists. Like, they have a following. Like, people will instantly back Kickstarter games um, that are coming out by particular designers and even will back games that have feature the art of particular artists. Like, that's happening now. And I do fear a little bit that with this kind of Prospero Hall model that we'll lose that. Horrified is a game I was instantly attracted to because of the art. I'm often attracted to game like like everybody probably because of the art, and I have no idea who these artists are. Yeah, with, and I would have to go digging around. I could probably figure it out, but I'd have to go looking. With Horrified, like because I follow, uh, there's a fellow named Ghoulish Gary, who who's a he's a very well known artist in like horror movie posters. Right, and he had a, a post on his Instagram where he mentions that he did the card illustrations for this game. Right. But I don't know if he did the cover art for the this game. Art, yeah. I don't know. Like it's the art is stunning. The cards are great. It seems like it's a slightly different style, but but maybe not. Yeah. He mentioned working with a company out of Toronto on, on the game, and uh, I had searched into one of the companies, and it was a husband and wife duo from Ontario. Right. And I don't know how how much involved they were in the game. Like mm-hmm. they're not Prospero Hall; they're their own company, and and they did some of the art and design. But but what parts? I, I don't know. Like yeah, I'd love to, to even if even if uh, at the back of the rule books they right. were doing a credits like a like a movie credits role yeah. that said here are the people that were responsible here's the team that that built this game right I would feel so much better about about that model yeah like if you're watching an animation movie the ending credits are 15 minutes long but everybody gets their due and right. I would feel if if the world's going to shift to this sort of studio model. Uh, which hopefully, it, you know, it, there's a spot for it, but hopefully it doesn't entirely shift. And, and Right. But if it does, if anything, I want to start seeing a credit page on, yeah. on rule books or something. Well, something comparable, too, would be not obviously not the same. Uh, the way kind of Fantasy Flight have done things for the past considerable amount of time, like they're obviously sometimes their games are a team of, of creators, mm. uh, but... You still know who those designers are. Yeah, yeah. So, like you know, with um, those big tile games like Mansions of Madness or the Star Wars version of that um, Imperial Assault, that has that uh, Corey um, I'll massacre his last name Knizia or um, really kind of popular designer who has a following. People will follow him. He's gone off and designed other things. I think he came out with that Discover Unknown game last year for the. Oh well, that was still part of uh, Fantasy Flight Dogs. Yeah, yeah. Um, kind well, of a even weird one that one. Uh, definitely a weird one. But a better example would be Nikki Valens, who was one of the lead writers on Mansions of Madness, um, who was credited there for 
writing some neat stories with some interesting characters and an often female-led kind of protagonist in, in the in Mansions of Madness. There's some really cool kind of diverse characters within those boxes. Um, she left Fantasy Flight, but everyone kind of took note of her name because not only did she create Mansions of Madness, but she created that Legacy of Dragonhold game. Right, right. Um, and she moved on to, like, Fog of Love. and Right, exactly. So she Legacy of Dragonhold was supposed to be the start of a line of games that used this kind of choose-your-own-adventure book system. I don't think, I think it, that's a. Yeah, I don't think you're allowed to say choose yeah, your own no, adventure. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone knows what I mean when I say that, but pick yeah, your it's own not path. A, pick, yeah, uh, and I think it is that. In, oh yeah, yeah, I think it's pick your own path or, or something close to that. Um, but it seems like maybe it didn't do as well as Fantasy Flight had hoped because I think people were expecting that they were going to use the the IPs that they had and create these types of book style games like Legacy of Dragon Halt, where you know turning pages, reading a body of text, and making a decision based on kind of skills that you have assigned on a character sheet. Um, but for anyone who's played that game, some people really don't like it, feel like Nikki has a, like a progressive political agenda on there. Really, I think she's just a writer who is writing from her own experience, including strong female characters with, in, that you don't often see in fantasy traditional style games. Um, but yeah, so she left, but because everyone knew she was involved, people were able to follow her on to other projects and are really excited for what she has coming up, like the Fog of Love game you mentioned. She's kind of leading a, an, a, an expansion based is for that, the LGBTQ community. I thought it came out. Is it I don't think it's officially out yet. Maybe at like um, some cons. Maybe it's been tested, but I don't think they've actually released the retail of it yet. Maybe. I should double check. But yeah, and I think what you're saying about including some sort of crediting in the rule book or on the box... That's what that provides, that we know someone's name, that if they happen to leave and, and move on to other things, we can be like, oh, that's the guy they were involved on Horrified, and I really like that game. It but, seems like with the with Prospero Hall, they wouldn't be able to do it on the box, just because yeah, they have enough. such huge teams and so many designers that seem to be uh, working these games out yeah. that it, it just wouldn't fit. That's why I was saying with, with a, a studio like Prospero Hall to at least have a page of credits. Yeah. Uh, somewhere make a nice poster of the game with the with the credits that we can put on the wall right <laughs> i would i would frame a horrified poster with well, like a movie credit it style. almost looks like a movie poster right now it's like it's 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 cool they could yeah that would be cool i did uh i did make a bunch of notes where uh where this the the concept of of putting the authors on the box uh again sort of started in germany where they coined the phrase game author. Right. Uh, and people like, um, what, was it, what was his name, Randolph, Alex Randolph, had started uh, sort of pushing more and more for that. And one of the reasons he ended up having to push for that is he had a, his his favorite game that he designed is a game called Twixt, which mm. is actually, it's on his epitaph on his grave that he oh, is no the way. designer of Twixt. Wow. And... Uh, his rights for it ran out with whoever had been publishing, or he didn't have the rights, and the publishing company sort of shelved it, and he had to publicly fight to get the rights for his own game back. Wow. And uh, and from then he was sort of fighting for author's rights, and, and they started uh, the SAZ. I wish I had written down the actual name. Oh, it's the Spiel Autoren Zunft. Aha. Uh-huh. Uh, it's the Game Authors Guild out of, out of Germany. It's an international sort of group. Uh, and they they have meetings and and they talk about game design and and authors and yeah, what, yeah. what to do. And uh, I'm not sure what year 
Saz started. Uh, but in 1988, at the Nuremberg Toy Fair, uh, Reinhold Wittig, who is a, a game designer, uh, has has a really neat game called uh, Photo Safari, where you're okay. it's on a black and white uh, rolled up mat with big Haba style animals, like big wooden right. chunky animals, and and little safari cars, and you're you're like driving the safari cars and moving the animals to try and get, get the right get pictures. Yeah. yeah. Cool. It's a neat one. One of his the one he's most known for, and I don't know it at all, is a game. Uh, I'm going to loosely translate it to. Uh, what is it? I have it written down. Oh my god! How did I lose my place? <sighs> Reinhold Pirate and Bill Bill Billiards. It's like Pirate oh. Billiards. It's a big wooden grid with a cloth on the bottom, full of a bunch of marbles, and you hit it from the bottom with a hammer, huh. and you try and move your marbles along. That's not what I was picturing when no, you, when you said that. No, it's a weird one. But uh, at the Nuremberg Toy Fair, drinking at the bar, him and a bunch of authors were, were talking, and they, they formed what is called the uh, Coaster Proclamation. It was in 1988, uh, and the post coaster Drink Coaster Proclamation basically said, uh, none of us will release a game to a publisher if his name won't appear at the top of the box. Right. And 13 uh, designers signed that. One of them was Alex Randolph. Another one was Wolfgang Kramer. Awesome. Who is amazing. Uh, and then a bunch of ones that I just had to keep looking up. And Yeah. Uh, yeah, so they that sort of started the ball rolling uh, with getting authors' names in the box. I think it was slowly starting to happen anyway because I think publishers were starting to see the value in it, uh, especially as the niche market sort of took off where people knew that pe- people would follow designers. Yeah. And like like Rainer Kinesia, I don't know how much different his career might have been if sure. if his name wasn't didn't become like superstars. You know, yeah. like he is one of the most prolific game authors going, and like everybody knows his name. He's like a, a household name in in game stuff, and like same with like Stefan sure. Feld, yeah. and like so it's it's really interesting that there are superstars, there are household names, and then with Prospero Hall, you know, I don't know yeah. who. So it's weird. It's very interesting. I mean, but like you said earlier, too, on the on the flip side of this, you know, you often hear um, designers with day jobs. You know, I'm thinking of, you know, Gloomhaven when I was following that Kickstarter a few years back. Like Isaac Childress is, um, you know, has a PhD in physics or something uh, and just left his job to try out this game. And it worked out for him, but it doesn't work out for everybody. And they often can't leave their day jobs, and they can't pursue game design, even if they have these really great ideas. Um, so yeah, in some ways, Prospero Hall is there, maybe for people who, you know, can get a salary, sitting sitting in a in a boardroom with a bunch of like-minded individuals and designing these really cool games. It, it's neat. I'd almost like to hear more. And I was kind of looking around for like an article that was like interviewing the the manager or the 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 lead team. Yeah, um, there's not a lot. There's not a lot out there. You can find on them. But I'd like to hear the, kind of the the the, clo- their, the closest you get. Opinion. They have uh they have short videos about several of the games where they yeah. talk to different people and uh and they all but th- but it's like watching uh hockey interviews. Yeah. You know, like we all pulled together and right. you know, we made it happen. And... They're my favorite kind of interviews sometimes. In, in sports they're my favorite. Uh, yeah. What yeah. what what'd you do to get your team to win the day? Well, you know, we, we played defense, we played offense, and we scored more in basketball. We scored more baskets than the other team. Uh, awesome. At the end of the day, that's get what to, it takes. Get to the change room, champ. 
quality sports journalism. No, I'm just joking. I don't watch enough sports to really criticize anything. Um, but I was going to say, um, too, we talked about earlier where these games are showing up in uh, mass market retail stores. But, yes, in the United States, Target has kind of open opened their doors. There's lots and lots of, of modern board games on their shelves. That's very different in Canada. Uh, and I, know a, I was just in... Uh at my brother's place in in San Diego, I, mean, I went to the Target a bunch, and like, it seems like every day I read more and more online. But when I was actually there, it was mildly disappointing. There was well, a maybe in this. lot more. Maybe it was in the wrong store. Maybe it was the wrong day. Yeah. And like, it's a wall. It was a it was a wall of games. Yeah. But it was like, of it, course, yeah. Still yeah, not comparable was, to local yeah you know, local game store. They're but, getting better. But compared to Canada, like we our 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 big toy stores don't have much so it was yeah. a big surprise to me this you know last year to walk in and see selection pandemic sure. and see um and now this year villainous and jaws so uh prospero hall have kind of definitely recognized the kind of changing market like i listened to a really cool podcast i was telling you about it i'm and we were going to mention on a show one day some of our favorite kind of podcasts. My fa- one of my favorites is, is definitely Ludology through the Dice Tower Network, um, with some changing hosts. Um, but one episode they had interviewed an inventor for mass market games and toys. And I don't need to get... That's a whole other conversation. And they have a wonderful conversation about it. So go look it up uh, uh, there. But, you know, they speak to the different world of mass market and then hobby games and how the approach is so different and how in in the hobby game industry it's like a pretty open sharing environment where designers share ideas play test each other's games borrow ideas uh you know for example that the game came out last year uh lowlands with uh that looks very much like a uve rosenberg game like looks like agricola we have all these sheep on a board but you're building a kind of a a water break so that the 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 waters in the Netherlands, I think, don't flood in and, and get all your sheep. Um, because he borrowed so many mechanics from Uwe Games, uh, Uwe gave him like a little credit in the his kind of blessing in the rule book. Like he shows up as a cartoon, like, yeah, I endorse this game, like it's great. Um, like he's really supportive. And then listen to this interview with this mass market um, person. She was just kind of saying, like, you do not share your ideas. If you think you've got a good idea for mass market, like you sit on that. And that's for your pitch and you hope that someone buys it from you, and it's like really secretive and competitive. And um, it, I'm just thinking of Prospero Hall, where they're looking at all these Kickstarter games, all these nostalgic, um, this need for nostalgia that exists in pop culture. And it seems like they're like, yeah, let's we can buy up all these IPs. We can put out like Back to the Future, The Shining, um, this kind of movie monster magic. And if we can get deals with mass market, people are going to go buy these games. This is the thing. I I think they're they're operating more like an agency where they're not buying these IPs. They might be approaching uh, the IP holders right. and pitching this concept, and then and then they're being hired on. You know, like, I'm pretty sure Disney has hired them on to take care of these games. Not right. so much that they approach Disney and said, we will buy your IP from you no, and then course, do something. Yeah. Cause that'd be something that a publisher might do. But these guys, they very much seem like they're, they're operating like a, like an ad agency where right. they're, they're picking up and and they're doing the work. Uh, it's, it's a very interesting company. They've really, really nailed something. Uh, 
it's I wish I could find out more about them. I wish I I wish I could get a job with them, really. Uh, it's yeah, yeah they're sure. they're definitely an anomaly right now in in the in the game world to me. To me, maybe they're not. Maybe it's uh maybe there's no mystery at all. Yeah. Definitely something uh a group to keep an eye on and again um yeah, even they're just chatting about it. It's it's just very interesting and every game I've played um like I think that some of them are a little lackluster, don't live up to, uh, like Bob Ross bought it. It's beautiful. Right. I would put it very nicely on the wall, but the gameplay wasn't enough that I, you know, I'll play it again when someone is, is like, oh my God, I can't believe you have that. Let's right. try it, but I'll never bring it out. Uh, whereas something like Monster Crunch, which is a very yeah. light, easy, sloughing card game, uh, we played a lot. Yeah. And it's beautiful and it's fun and like all of their production values and art and they really nail all of it. And like even their games that kind of don't really excite you are right. are amazing. So I mean they're no matter what they're doing you it's getting to the point where you could oh at Prospero Hall I can buy that. It's probably yeah. worth the money cuz they're they're never, you know, it's not a $80 game. It's always right. like $50 games, so. Well, yeah, and you're speaking to something there too because with those games that are hitting in the shelves are there are there have been some thought put into the design like you know the jaws game that's on the shelf i've i've kind of looked in read how it's looked into it a little bit and read how it's played it's not jaws monopoly like there's a game there there's like a game that people put some thought into and designed uh, a game that may appeal to hobbyist board gamers and also appeal to someone shopping at toys r us for their family yeah like, they're definitely getting better and better at at their games yeah like, I, I would trust that Jaws is going to be as good as Horrified. Uh, I've watched little bits about it where they're really trying to build that story arc of Jaws right, into yeah. the game. Um, what was that? I don't know if I don't know if they did the Die Hard game. Somebody did a Die Hard game mm. a while back, and the big negative that I heard of the Die Hard game was that it it follows the story arc so well that it right. has no replay value. Right. Because you you play the game, you know what you're supposed to do. And and then you're not going to play it again because it's going to be the same game. So it's probably so it probably wasn't Prospero Hall. It, uh, and I've I've never played it. It would probably be super fun for that one time, and and that's totally fine too because I have so many games that I've only played once anyway. Right. Well, interestingly enough that you brought that game up because that is uh, have been published by the OP, also previously known as USAopoly. Oh. Um, which is another which, interesting. Which means they probably have a studio too. I mean, that's that's where like Rob Davial got his start, right? He was with what Mattel, right? Yeah, I think and, so. And like most of his early work was with Risk and and all these other games. Well, you'd never see his name on the box, and until he did uh, Risk Legacy, you didn't really know who he was. And then he sort of broke away from the mass market games and started doing other stuff right and it's the same i don't know if mattel is uh doing stuff in the studio or if they're just buying up uh good games with like uh spirit spirits of the wild right yeah which i can't remember his name can you see the box there i can yes and that's a that's a mattel game and this fella has done several games for them but he's getting his name on the box too which is interesting seeing people's names on the boxes of mattel games right uh is exciting yeah, Nick Hayes. Nick Hayes. He's yeah. done uh, Wizards Wanted, I think, is one of his. Right. And then uh, this is a, the Spirits of the Wild I'm looking at. It, yeah, 
a similar thing where it's uh, got this great production value for a mess uh, for Mattel. It has. You know? It's beautiful. It is an absolutely stunning game. It is also a super fun, it ga- is a very ga- fun gateway game, game. and uh, it has a similar production problem with with all the Prospero Hall games yeah. where. Everything is beautiful. Everything is done really nice, but the paper is slightly too thin. It's like it's yeah. like they've chosen to just cut a couple corners in order to keep the price down, which is understandable. But whenever it's a family game, oh I, I guess God. I guess once you hit the mass market, maybe that's part of part of the logic is yeah. eventually they'll wreck the game and then buy another one. Right. I don't know. But you're right. But, yeah. I, do, but I don't think of Ravensburger as being the mass market. And here's an, another interesting thing where Ravensburger is picking up all these big IP Prospero Hall games yeah. is it's like a shift with Ravensburger where they have always been sort of a Euro game uh, company that they're switching to this American trash style where they're right. putting out uh, Jurassic Park, yeah. uh, the Universal Monsters, probably is, are they uh, Back to the Future and stuff too? Like are the, is all of that That's Ravensburger line? Uh, so it's interesting that that for the North American market, anyway, they're 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 pushing these. Well, not pushing these games. They're it's easy to sell. They're great games. Yeah. Well, how, how are we doing for time here? I feel like we've been we've been chatting quite a bit of a bit here. A few more minutes. A few more minutes. Um, yeah, I'm trying to find this Raven. How what Ravensburger has? Uh, Ghost Fighting Treasure Hunters. Too, who's that? Who's that? I think that's Mattel as well, isn't it? No, but who designed that? Oh, um, oh, God. That's uh, a name that you will know as soon as you hear it because they've done other great things as well. Because that name is not on the Ghostbusters box, even though it's a reskin right. of that game. So that's a little sad. Brian U. Why U? Okay, the re- other reason we know that is because it's the Voltage game. The Voltage yeah. game, right. right. Yeah. Which is an interesting game, too. Uh, that's a great game for having in the cafe and, and just playing a quick card game, but... Uh, I had it. I uh, gave it away. Yeah. yeah. I like I like Monster Crunch better. Yeah. Uh, that 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 game. What did you just say? Voltage. Voltage is is a similar game to Battle Line. It, right. It, it's it. They share DNA. Yeah. But I would rather have uh, Battle Line uh, than Voltage. Voltage is slightly lighter. Toys with things a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they're really similar games where you're playing cards on either side and then you're adding up. To see who wins that pile, kind of right. thing. Uh, great game. Uh, Voltage is definitely easier to play with kids than Battle Line. Yeah. Or Shotten Totten. Shotten Totten. If you want to play with Scottish chickens. Oh, right. Yeah. Which is Battle Similar Line game with, as well. Well, it's the same game. It's Battle Line uh, with Scottish chickens. Oh, okay. There it is. Yeah. But yeah, um, I was going to say something there. But yeah, again, Love Torrified. Great first play. Like can't wait to try the other monsters and different player counts, um, and really interesting conversation. I'm glad you brought this to my attention because uh, when I when you told me you wanted to chat about Prospero Hall and I went looking into it, I hadn't realized that we had played a bunch of their games and that you had even owned a couple because I didn't really recognize the name until uh, Horrified came out, and then it seemed like people were talking about them more. And then I've seen just press releases for their working on a similar cooperative style Wonder Woman, cooperative style Back to the Future, I think. So I was like, oh, wow. And it the still shining. didn't click to me. I think when I heard Prospero Hall, I was still thinking it was a, a game publisher. And so it wasn't, I just thought it was just another. I, I saw a picture yeah. of the Shining game that they're doing. Looks neat. And like the cover of it looks beautiful and the 
it seemed like from the picture of of gameplay sort of thing that maybe it's similar to villainous. Oh yeah. It seemed like there was long mats with player cards and stuff. So right. I wonder if it's going to be a similar system. And they seem like they try really hard to make their games different enough from each other. Yeah. But at the same time, with the success of Villainous, which seems to have been pretty successful, uh, they're releasing oh, the, the Marvel line oh, yeah, of that right. too, with Thanos on the cover. Yeah. So they recognize a success story when they see it too. And I mean, Marvel will, well, Marvel and Disney are totally in bed together. Well, no, they're not. Well, they're part of the same family. <laughs> That's a better way to put it. They're owned. By the same, yeah. Part of the same fam jam. We almost got through the whole episode without me getting weird. Weird. Um, like, yeah. But, you know, it, do we have a few minutes here? I was going to... Yeah, we had bring... lots of minutes, but... So what I was going to say was I've been... Uh, just to uh, chat about what I've... Can I talk about what I've been playing for a second? Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, okay. So I've been really um, digging back into Architects of the West Kingdom. This still has to do with cooperative uh, games, so it's not a complete tangent of me trying to... Uh, hold my brain together. Um, I've played Architects of the West Kingdom because I picked up the expansion, the Age of Artisans, which doesn't add much to the game, but added just enough crunch for me to to uh, want to break out the solo game of it again and give it a try. And uh, I really enjoyed it. Really enjoyed the solo play. So much so, because I went online because I beat the solo uh, AI really easily. I went online and realized that uh, S.J. McDonald, the other designer... Uh, with Shem Phillips, uh, he released a bit of a, um, a more difficult variant for the AI. Just adds one step that just makes it a little harder to play. And you can play with uh, in Architects each character uh, board player board that you choose uh, has a you can flip it and it has a variable power kind of side on it where you have different starting resources and you have a a power that you can use throughout the game. Um, his solo variant allows you to play using those variable powers, which is what, interesting because it changes how you m- will play that game. Um, so I've been really liking it as a solo game, and I didn't love it as a solo game when I first played it. So because I've been falling in love with this game again, uh, I went, you know, I read the rule book to Paladins of the West Kingdom, and I'm really excited to try it sometime. And I went and looked at the uh, Viscounts or Viscounts of the West Kingdom um, Kickstarter that's out right now. And just like their North Sea trilogy... From oh, they're going to combine back. them all. They're combining them all, and, and with this current Kickstarter, you can get the Tome Saga, and the Tome Saga makes it kind of a campaign style where you would play uh, one of each game yeah. where you're trying to collect these tomes and then have one winner over three games, which is an interesting thing. But the other thing that the, that's coming with the Tome Saga, and I'm not sure if the North Sea Saga does this or not, but it provides cooperative rules for all three games. Yeah, I don't think there is. Which is, I thought, I hadn't, pretty I neat. Did, I don't have that in my head that that exists for the others. Yeah, so I started reading that rule book, and I thought, this is great. This is a great example of what I was talking about earlier, because I really want to introduce architects to more people, like S- Susie, for example. But I think it might be a bit too much for her initially. She might just get annoyed and frustrated with the card play and and the worker placement and the, the f- there's a lot to juggle the first time you play that game um but again then if if there's going to be a cooperative rules um makes that a little more uh yeah. manageable to break out and introduce and work through it together once or twice there's um, a cooperative expansion for vikings gone wild too oh yeah but i don't know how well it works because it takes out some of the fun cards in order to put in the, the co-op right cards but yeah so all that to say i'm really excited for the west kingdom trilogy uh and i may uh you know try to piece put that in my collection over the next couple couple years while they're wrapping it up and 
trying the co-op versions. Yeah. It's a good plan. Co-op, co-op, co-op. Co-op. We'll call it the co-op episode. Co-op episode. Or, See if co-op will, will sponsor us. Oh, there's no co-op. It's Foodland now. We'll call it the Foodland episode. <laughs> See what happens. All right. Uh, uh, we do have a we do have an email feedback at everydaymeeple.com. That's enough. That's enough. <laughs>